Let me open us in prayer, and then it's going to take a little bit of a 30,000-foot view here for just a little bit. So, Father, we do uh, join together this morning, and we're very conscious of our desperate need for you. Uh, we're thankful for who you are. We thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. We thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Thank you that you have poured your grace out upon us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And we are thankful to be just the recipients of that. Father, in our hearts this morning, would you be so kind as to speak to us? Uh, would you draw us into a deeper, more profound and intimate walk with you? Would you bring truth to our minds and to our hearts and to our understandings? And would that, Father God, be fleshed out in our daily lives? Lord, would you speak through me this morning? Would you enrich our table discussions? Would you make your word come alive to us? And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we had uh, a uh, little bit of a different session last week with uh, Reverend Parker here with us. And so uh, there's a big part of me that, that uh, I have to be honest, and it's probably obvious in some respects, I do not consider myself to be a, a great teacher for a group this size that I'm really more into wanting to facilitate discussion and drill down and things and and I would have loved to have just been able to take everything that that Vincent shared with us last week and take it down uh, to the next level for us but uh, what I'm going to try to do is is take just a few of the things that he shared with us but really more importantly as we are here for the sixth and final time is to take a, another view over where we've been uh, with the hopes that today uh, around your table, uh, we'll be able to have that rich uh, conversation. Uh, if it's not evident at this point in time, uh, I am a huge believer in what takes place around the tables. And I always want to do the best to try to enrich those times. Uh, you'll remember that uh, the very first week that we started our study in here, that, that uh, we looked at uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 and trying to get a picture of what, what actually was, was laid forth in 1 through 3 so that we could rightly apply 4, 5, and 6, the chapters. And there was this idea that comes, and it starts out, and, and if you look on your handout this morning, that Ephesians 4, 1 really calls out for us this idea of to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And... Fellas, this is impossible to do if we don't have an understanding of chapters 1, 2, and 3. And it's not only impossible to do, it becomes incredibly burdensome. And then we see how it gets manifested in the community and the world around us when we see people who are trying to live out this calling without an understanding, a full understanding of what chapters 1, 2, and 3 have laid forth for us. And the idea is that we've seen that beauty of chapter 2 where he starts out and he says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And you'll remember that that was a pretty poignant uh, place that, that Vincent took us last week. Uh, the understanding of, you know, we're dead people. And, and then the commonality of what we have all experienced uh, as the work of Christ that was contained in, in chapter 2. But where I left us with 
in week one was this idea that it says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, and it says with humility and gentleness. And some of you that were here will remember that there was a, a really, I, I realized for myself, a pretty impassioned plea, which is to take that sense of humility to your tables and to be able to engage in a level of conversation around your tables that embodies a sense of humility because that's the only way that we really are able to be fully open, transparent, vulnerable men where we can speak into the hearts and lives of each other. <clears throat> and so that's why I like what, we, what we're going to see today is from Ephesians chapter 4. If you just look here, he says, Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so there's a strong call coming out of what our walk should be like. And when I think back upon some of the things that, that Vincent shared with us last week, and we can leave this strictly in a racial context, and we can grow a lot. And, and I think there's places that he enlightened us to see that, that we need to pick up a different lens sometimes and be able to look through that lens and realize that I may have been seeing things without having the benefit of the full picture. I fear sometimes that I can be a little bit, um, you know, like the movie that, that uh, uh, somebody's going to have to help me with the title of it, I completely escaped me, but the guy that lived underneath the, uh, uh, the bubble, no, Truman Show, thank you, yeah, just completely escaped. That's no, no caffeine. Um, <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, I think sometimes I have lived the Truman Show, and I've lived it as a, today I stand here, as a 59-year-old man getting ready to turn 60 next month. And I've lived it with the viewpoint of that, and I've only seen it from that perspective, and I have surrounded myself with a lot of people that look a lot like me, who reinforce my view and, and play the role in the Truman Show along with me, and only to find out it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, there's a whole other world out there, and there's a whole other perspective out there, and what do I do with that? And what do I do with it now that it starts to be peeled back for me? And it's troubling, and it's disturbing, and it's, it's confusing, and Frankly, fellas, I may be a lot like, you all may be a lot like me, which is, how do I pull the sheets back up? How do I get the bubble back down so that I don't have to be disturbed by that? And it's, it's a place for all of us, and it's a little bit where we love hearing what Vincent has to say, and it's like, I don't want to ever have to listen to that again, if we're deeply honest. Because why? Because there's a disturbing element to it that makes me have to question myself in some ways that are hard for me to know how to deal with. And yet, what I want to try to broaden it for us with this today is I don't think it's just about race. And I think it goes beyond that. And I think it goes to socioeconomics. And I think we have a class issue that we can deal with sometimes. And I think that there can be an educational issue sometimes that, 
that we think people are ignorant and I'm brilliant and I separate myself and all of a sudden I find that I'm continuing to make my world more like me and smaller and smaller all the time and frankly when I do that I achieve one thing that's worthwhile. My life becomes pretty easy. And then I read Ephesians and I go, I think I'm on the wrong track. I don't think that's what I'm called to. And I, I read here the very first part that we looked at six weeks ago. With all gentleness, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I don't think I can do that in my Truman bubble. And then I come down to the last part of Ephesians chapter 4. And he lays out something for us that, that he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I can't do that, fellas. I, I, I can't do it. I fail miserably at it. I do it pretty well inside my bubble. I do it in a, in a place when I, at least if I get to relate just with people that I am alike and people that think the same way that I do and people who are going to reinforce my perspective. But as soon as I step out of that, I find these things coming out at me going, I can't do that. And that's the struggle that I think we find ourselves in today. As if I can't do it, and yet Scripture is actually calling me to do that. I cannot do it as long as I forget chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that's why, fellas, something dramatically changed in our hearts and lives when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ opened our eyes, transformed our hearts, and set us on a new course. In verses, the verses preceding 25 through 32, he talks about putting off the old and putting on the new. <clears throat> and there's a part of me that says, okay, I, I'm willing to do that. But there is also a part of me that I have to confess, I like the old. When he says put off the old, there's parts of the old that I actually like. I actually like being around people that look like me, think like me, and do the same things that I do because I like my life to be easy. But to put on the new sets me on a new course and gives me a heart that allows me to see things in a different way. And so there was a real part of me today that wanted to say, <clears throat> what did you put on this morning? When you came, when you got up out of bed, what did you put on? And I don't want to be 
over dramatic about this passage, but I want to say, did you put on the old or did you put on the new this morning? And if you, if you don't know the answer, then I can probably tell you, you put on the old. You could say, well, I got up and came to my Bible study, and I go, well, great, I love that. But there's still a part of me that says, we have a natural bent toward wanting to put on the old and make it work in our Christian culture today. Fellas, when we put on the new, it leads us to something that is much more radical than just putting on the old and trying to live out the Christian life. It really does make me see people differently. It really does cause me to relate to people in a different way that calls me outside of myself. And when I put on the new and walk about in this world that I live in and that you and I live in together, I'm far more capable of letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away. But in our text today, in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, if you'll look at that with me, he says one other thing. Therefore, having put away falsehood, I looked pretty extensively at this idea of what does it mean to put away? And, and the idea of, of moving something out and, and, and getting it away from us, pushing it away. And, and, and it's like it's something that we no longer want to be connected to. And it's interesting to me that he would say, therefore, having put away falsehood, Around your tables today, I'd love if you all could just talk a little bit about what does that mean to put away falsehood. And he says, though, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Well, that brings me to what I addressed in week four in here, which was this idea of speaking the truth in love. And the importance of being able to do that. And the reality that, fellas, we're pretty bad at that. We, we, we are uncomfortable with speaking the truth in love. And we think that, that I'd rather avoid subjects. I'd rather keep it on the surface. I'd rather navigate through talking about things that are a lot more comfortable to me than it is for me to speak the truth in love. And I really want to call us out to be courageous men who are willing to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, obviously, we're combining truth, which is something that we need to hear, but I'm saying it in a way that can be heard. But I'm also realizing here's a place that I see because of my eyes are now open to see it, and that's the love that motivates it, and then I want to bring truth to bear on it. For some of us, we're pretty good at the truth side. And we feel pretty good when we deliver the truth. And yet, the truth without the love component 
is really brutality. And you've probably heard, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And so we come today saying, look, I want to live this out in a way. And you'll remember, I said, fellas, please use your table discussion for a time to speak the truth in love. Learn how to do it at your tables. Why? Because I can tell you, those of you in the room today who are married, your wives are desperate for you to speak the truth in love to them. For those of you with children, your children are desperate for you to speak the truth in love to them. And then I have to tell you, the person that's sitting on your left or on your right, honestly, you may not believe this, they're desperate for you to speak the truth in love to them. You don't look like it. We, we, we don't look like we need that. But we do. We desperately need it. Why? Because as I said, we've all got significant blind spots. And there are things that I cannot see that I need a brother who can speak the truth and love to me and say, Pat, what are you thinking? What's going on here? Where are you headed? Why would you think this is a good, healthy thing to do? I also need him to say, hey, brother, love what, love what I hear, love what I see, keep at it. And that's what we can do at our tables so that we walk out of here and we are able to be refreshed and strengthened and encouraged by that, but we are also able to say, I am learning how to do that. And so he says, we are called to put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then Vincent touched on this last week. Be angry and do not sin. And we know that <clears throat> that's a hard place for us to go. Because for some of us, it's like I cannot even afford to crack open the door to anger because it consumes me. And this is a place where I will tell you all that we do have a lot of angry men walking around. And the anger is just barely beneath the surface. And the tragedy is when it does surface, it's really ugly. And when it does surface, we find all sorts of ways to blame other people for the behavior that we are now modeling out. And so how is it that we're called to be angry and yet not sin? And how is it that we find this phrase, be angry, and give it blanket approval when I wonder if the things that we're called to be angry about aren't some of the things that Vincent shared with us about last week. I think I had heard it before. Um, pretty sure I had, actually. How, how, how did you all respond when he said his father was not eligible, even though he was a World War II veteran, for home loans like every other veteran was? 
I find that to be outrageous. And yet, you know what else I find outrageous? Is that we are still paying women more money on welfare to have children out of wedlock, and then we blame it on the black community that the family has disintegrated. And I find that outrageous. And I wonder, where does my anger take me with that? And does it cause me to do anything? Or do I find a way to quickly rationalize that and make it about somebody else's problem? Fellas, I'm, I'm at an awkward place right now because there is a part of me that wants to elevate your sense of rightness and righteousness for what should be. And there's a part of me that says that I realize that we've got men in this room who have problems with anger. And how are we going to learn how to express our anger for the right things and stay away from the things that is flat out sin? in our anger. You know how I think? It's being in the Word like we are, and I think it's being with brothers where we speak the truth in love. It's a high calling for us to step into people's lives in that way. Then he goes on to say, let no thief, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Honestly, when I was reading this, I almost find this laughable. It's almost like saying, you know, okay, the thief, yeah, we got the thieves. There's thieves around us. We need to tell them to do something differently. Hey, quit stealing, go to work, get a job, then you'll have something to contribute to others, and they're going to go, that's a great idea. I don't know why I hadn't thought about that. And the reality, though, is that no thief is going to change unless something is deeply transformed within their hearts. And I want us to realize, in many ways, guys, we are the thieves. You're not stealing money. You're not stealing things that, that aren't. But I think there's places that we are flat out robbing people of honor, dignity. I think we steal glory from God. Now that's a big picture category. But where I want to wrap us up with this today is just the thought of, look, guys, if you're going to be around somebody, we cannot just simply say to them, don't do that. It's wrong. But it can be said in a grander context, like Ephesians is, so that you have all of one, two, and three and you have all of four up to this point to be able to say, yes, based on all this, thieves no longer steal. That's not where you're going to find anything of significance in your life. You want to be about 
taking things and being able to give back to others, that's where you're going to find real life. That's where you're going to find me, meaning a holy God. That's where our intimacy is going to deepen. And so then he comes out and he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That one seems to make sense, doesn't it? And yet, I think we fail to realize how far short we can fall on that. And how much, and a lot of guys in here know that I've been working on my sense of humor to try to eliminate some sarcasm or some jaded kind of things where you just have a nice way to shoot something back at somebody. And the Lord has just continually said to me over and over and over again, just be an encourager. Just be an encourager. And I see this scripture verse and I just want to say to you men, hey men, let's just be encouragers. Let's really lift each other up. Let's support each other. Let's learn how to do it in here so that we can do it better. Because why? Because I'm going to come back to the same place. Your wives, your children, and the man sitting next to you needs encouragement. He's already covered in chapter 1, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit has done for us. And the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us. And fellas, while it seals us for that day of redemption, the Holy Spirit, what I also want you to know, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to not let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be a part of who you are. And it's the Holy Spirit who allows you, verse 32, to be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, guys, I have to say, doing that is impossible apart from our understanding of what has been done for us and the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And where I want to leave us this morning is what will the difference in all of our relationships look like when we continue to focus on the fact of how much we've already been forgiven. How can I withhold anything from somebody else when I acknowledge how much I've already been forgiven? Take your handouts and, and I want to just call your attention to something here. I've asked you some questions to take a look at. Now you'll notice that I bolded and put in quotation marks the word things. Now, if I was teaching to a women's group, I wouldn't have to clarify this. <laughs> but, you know, I can already tell you, if, if, if I close in prayer, somebody's going to raise their hand and go, what are, what are things? You know? So I'm using a broad category here, fellas. 
And things, when you look at that, what are things you deal with that can make it easy to tap into bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice? And I'm just going to tell you, it's more than a red light when you're headed down Oak Lawn trying to get somewhere and you're running late. That is a thing, but I'm telling you, things also include people, projects, agendas, your baggage from the past, your false dreams for the future, are all part of things that I need you to be thinking about at your tables. Where there's only like three of you, Mark, I would really be grateful if you and Bill Beasel's table could, could get together. I'd rather have six of you talking than just three of you. So if y'all would do that, I think that's the only table that really needs to adjust. So let me close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the truth that's contained in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. We thank you that you've called us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Lord, we cannot do it without you. And Father, to some extent, we cannot do it without each other as well. Lord, escort us out of Truman's world and deliver us to your kingdom. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.